Welcome back to another episode of Conversations on the Creek, the Duck Creek podcast where we interview thought leaders about how the latest insure tech is transforming the PNC insurance industry. Whether you're working on underwriting, sales and marketing, claims, or an insurance IT department, in each episode, we uncover the insights you need to reimagine the future of insurance. I'm Rob Savitsky, and I'm so pumped to bring you today's episode live from ITC Vegas 23, The Innovators Part 2. Yes, this is part two, so if you haven't listened to part one yet, I encourage you to go back and check out that episode. Similar to part one, what you're about to hear is a medley of five micro-podcast episodes that I recorded at the InsureTech Connect conference. Because I recorded these on the trade show floor in the hallways and outside a restaurant, there is a varying degree of background noise that you can expect to hear. Uh, That said, uh, all of these episodes can be listened to independently, and while I'd love for you to listen to it in its entirety... If there's a particular topic or guest that you'd like to hear more of, feel free to skip ahead to that segment. Also, check out the show notes for the timestamps for each micro podcast. Um, I'm about to give you a quick preview of what you can hear, but uh, be forewarned, there is a good amount of talk about generative AI, which is no surprise because it was definitely the biggest, most talked about trend at the conference. So with that, uh, we start off uh, this medley with Sabine Vanderlinden of Alchemy Crew. She talks about the investments made thus far in generative AI, how it will impact how work gets done, and its adoption across various insurance use cases. Next, Tara Kelly of Splice Software talks about the role of utilizing surveys to enhance customer experience. Next, Josh Hollander of Horton International discusses the evolving talent management landscape and how carriers need to be rethinking DE&I. And then chat with Sylvia Diaz-Roja of ClaimDeck about the trends that are driving more litigated claims and areas for improved collaboration between claims adjusters and defense attorneys. And then finally, we'll wrap it up with Ryan Balazran of Glia. He shares his advice around incorporating AI chatbots into your customer communications. Uh, really fun episode. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. I hope you do as well. And with that, here we go. Hey everyone, Rob Savitsky back live from ITC, and I have Sabine Vanderlinten, the InsureTech queen here, and this is my final interview from ITC Vegas. Welcome to the show, Sabine. Thank you for having me on your show, Rob. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. I've, I feel like I've seen you all over the world in different podcasts, and so it's, uh, it's an honor to have you on our program. So we're wrapping up the show, and uh, you know I think this year... No surprises, Gen AI, the big topic that everyone would have talked about, you know, starting, I think, in the last year or so with ChatGPT, OpenAI, now everyone is trying to talk about different use cases. I guess, what's, uh, what's your take on Gen AI? So, I want to actually highlight that uh, Generative AI didn't start, you know, in November 2022. I think there was a major change or a realization that the model could do a lot two years ago. So two years ago, the model, the foundation models were able to actually talk to humans. You know, you put a prompt and you get an answer. But generative AI were part of the AI world and probably started to be created in 1950. Just want to highlight that. For sure. Uh So what I find is, um, for me, generative AI is actually moving AI to the business audience. And that is what makes it actually so powerful. Because now people like me who are, you know, business owners and problem solvers, I'm not a developer. I can actually learn to prompt effectively and ask questions to a machine and get really, really crisp answers that a human can understand. 
Now, looking at um, the world of generative AI, I did a piece of research. It's probably 31 billion which have been invested in generative AI. Wow. Yeah, right? And on average, for the past, I said, 10 years, two to three billion have been put into generative AI in, in terms of investment. 2023 will be the year of generative AI. I think at the moment we have 12 billion invested dollar-wise in Gen AI. Believe it will reach at the end of the year 18 billion to 20 billion dollars, compared to the three, to you know two, three, four billion I was mentioning. So it's going to be the year of generative AI. Even it's if you take out the 10 billion invested by Microsoft into OpenAI, it's still a number which is disproportionate to what we've learned in the past. The interesting things about generative AI is probably there's a thousand generative AI startups. There's new 20 new startups emerging every week. Right. But those who have received investment probably include 650. The reason why I'm saying that is if you look at AI, there is around 27,000 startups which received $590 billion. 27,000. So the portfolio of generative AI capabilities are still very small. And you know, you can actually put one, two months people to analyze all of them and understand where they fit, which we have done across a full operating model of insurance. Um, and that will include insurtechs, but it will include a lot of non-insurtechs. And what you find is that the bias around generative AI is, uh, well, I guess it's text, audio, video, avatar, I already have my Synthesia avatar and that voice, which means I put text, into the system and the, the voice and the avatar replace me. So let it run at night in the morning, I have a proper presentation if I need to. So what that means, productivity improvement major, automation, great. Um, but that means that there is a lot of job which are going to disappear. And maybe we don't need those expensive roles anymore because you can actually maybe do with more, um, I would say middle ground roles. So things like that uh, companies are thinking about because from a future of work, things are going to change drastically. Sure. What we are seeing today is, is a lack of skills. Uh, you know, we're talking about generative AI, but we have a lack of talent. Um, the operating model of the insurance company is going to change and become much more dynamic and new roles are going to emerge. So we are going through a major shift with this AI revolution that I think a lot of companies do not comprehend yet. Sure. Okay. So it sounds like your, your view, you're really seeing uh, generative AI as, uh, you know, taking off uh, some of the more menial tasks and that there's going to have to be a reskilling uh, across cert certain roles within, within the industry. I guess uh, I'm curious, what's, what's your take on how um, generative AI can be complementary or, or assistive with, uh, with, with you know, certain folks whose, whose roles probably are less likely to, to go away? So, so I think when you start looking at uh, generative AI, it's very important to always think about it in a responsible way. So you need to, to actually think about explainability, trustworthiness, um, and transparency, so therefore responsible AI, which means that you need a human in the loop. So you cannot technically let the machine do things without having somebody checking them out. So there is going to be roles for people. I think those roles will evolve in the sense that maybe you don't need the coders you need in the past. You need 
people who understand cutting and understand how to identify gaps in the cutting, but do you need perfect cutters? Probably not anymore. What I realized being in insurance and playing with a lot of those tools is that from a text viewpoint, I would actually uh, urge organizations to make sure that people using the technology from a knowledge viewpoint, so think about marketing, content creation, those people actually have the expertise and the experience. So what does I mean? What do I mean by that is the length of skills. So they have skills for a long time and the depth of the industry, because then as you play with generative AI, you can quickly see when it goes into hallucination mode and where the content is wrong, resulted in potential um, crepitational risk. So I think some of the more mundane roles will disappear. Some of the more um, bigger role will change. I think a lot of us, you know, using those tools become editors. We become negotiators. We don't need to do the job anymore. So our, our skill set, even at C executives, will completely change. And I think the world needs to be aware of that. At the same time, we need to have more compliance officer, ethical officer, ethical underwriters. So you will see some new roles and new title coming up to address some of the limitations that is going to be brought about by generative AI and artificial intelligence in, in general. Sure. So, uh, and I know you're starting to allude to some of the use cases in, in what you've seen so far in talking to different carriers. Where do you find is the greatest adoption of generative AI across the insurance lifecycle? So adoption-wise, I think the easiest will be project. So it will be sorry, marketing. So marketing because you don't need to put your customer data in a system to do marketing. You can just do great content, personalized content. You can do good profiling. You can actually ask the system, say, okay, based on these profiles, what would be the best proposition I can write? Um, you could ask the system, how do I personalize content, an article? Or a website, and these do not really require, you know, really, really detailed customer data. Now, where most people are uh, spending time with the claims, you know, you can have your virtual chatbots or your virtual assistant, and you can see Rob and Sabine into flash using these dubbing avatars, which mean that people don't need to actually pick up the phone anymore when they feel uncomfortable with the, you know, the chatbot, the, you know, which was often on the website. Where I think the major innovation is going to come is actually in risk assessment, make it more dynamic underwriting, um, you know, actuaries, underwriters, pricing experts will actually be able to do things in a much more personalized manner. And that's where, you know, the system has hallucination, the system has biases, and it's where this ethical uh, consideration and compliance consideration will become bigger. So governance around generative AI is going to be, I think, the name of the day. That's where the companies need to focus their attention, not just on the AI and the good data, but also on the governance aspect of things. Gotcha, okay. So marketing, underwriting, and pricing for now, and then as that rolls out and is uh, tested and vetted, I'm sure we'll, we'll see it in other use cases uh, in the future as well. Sabine, uh, it has been awesome having you on for this little micro episode. Uh, I guess before we wrap up here, anything else you'd like to add? I think people need to try. You know, today we had ITC Vegas 2023. You know, we had a wonderful speech, uh, speech I would say, a keynote from Gary V. And there was a few questions he was asking to, to people in the room. 
And you know, you, we had fewer and fewer hands lifting out of 8,000, 9,000 people in the room. I would say, you know, go and try. And so what I said, try, play with it, see what the answers will be, see how prompt engineering works and how the world is going to move to a much more prompt science world. Sure. No, great advice. Yeah, definitely enjoyed that keynote as well. And yeah, I appreciate your points on experimentation. And then I think it's uh, what Gary Vee was saying is about being habitual and making a commitment to it. I think that was more in reference to getting folks onto LinkedIn like you are, which I know folks can... I'll put a link in the show notes for where they can find you. You are very active in LinkedIn, always bringing thought leadership, which uh, definitely appreciate. Uh, Sabine, it has been awesome having you on the show. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Rob, for having me. All right, I think we're rolling. Rob Savitsky live at ITC, and I am with a returning guest, Tara Kelly, CEO of Splice Software. Tara, how is your ITC Vegas experience going for you? ITC Vegas is always a lot of fun, very, very busy, but often very productive. Well, you seem like you're pretty busy, lots of great booth traffic. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's start with what is one big trend you are really excited about and you think will materialize substantially as we close out 2023 and look ahead to 2024? Well, Closeout 2023 is coming so fast, it's hard to see if it'll materialize in 2023. Um, we're really seeing with all the digital transformation and the number of people that truly invested in changing the customer experience, whether for the policyholder or for the agents during COVID, they've really just continued to innovate. So we're seeing an absolute explosion in surveys, actually. And, and it's one of those, you know, all that's, uh, you know, old is new again almost. But we're seeing our NPS certified solution for survey is just absolutely flying off the shelf, if you will. Uh, everybody realizes getting that baseline and really checking in on how is the customer experience with all the digitalization. Um, and with generative AI coming in, there's so much power coming into these core systems that are at the fingertips. You really want to make sure people are utilizing it. And again, surveys is a really great way to check in and say, hey, how is it going? Have we made your life better? And I think really that's what we're trying to do, whether it's with embedded insurance, digitization, it's driving a customer experience because expectations just continue to rise. Sure. And, you know, customers are obviously very busy. What is a good way to approach a survey in a way that's not disruptive, that is actually going to get people to participate? You know, have you seen success with asking just one question, the, the classic net promoter score question, or, or do, you, do you, you know, ask five, six, or seven? This is such a great question, actually. You're right. It's a grudge buy as it is, and the last thing anyone wants to do is spend more time talking to their insurance company. So it is tricky. Um, really, offering it in text is, is a big one. Um, also, putting it in an email, um, giving people a couple chances to get it done, but that one question is huge. And then having truly intuitive follow-on questions that add value because you're not going to get somebody to go through multiple pages. They're just not. This is not going to be a scrollable email that goes on forever, right? Um, and so, occasionally somebody will give you that level of feedback but really utilizing AI in the experience so that the questions are just a natural flow based on the responses. Um, so I guess two things in short. One is, you know, send it on the channels people like. Obviously, that's big. Um, and then the other one is just have more intuitive questions and follow-on questions um, because a lot of the time you're right. You're just going to get that one ultimate question, right? Would you, how likely are you to, you know, recommend? How lucky are you to promote? So absolutely. Sure. It seems like, you know, having your, your go-to question as required and then make it an optional for, you might occasionally get a few people who are willing to, to share a bit more information, but uh, it's that flexibility and meeting them, meeting them where they are through the channel that they are receptive to, to answering a survey. So 
Awesome. Well, Tara, it's been a pleasure catching up briefly here at ITC. Thank you for coming back on the show. Perfect. Well, it's always fun. Thanks for putting the show out there. You always help us stay informed with great things, so keep it up. And I'm Rob Savitsky, back here at ITC Vegas. We just wrapped, uh, we'll call it the, the pre-day, because tomorrow is when the opening uh, keynote begins. Uh, there are a bunch of panels today, and I crossed paths, uh, reconnected with Joshua Hollander, who does a lot of different things. I'm going to let you, Josh, introduce yourself, since you're involved in so many different aspects of this industry. Sure. Uh, thanks, Rob. Good to catch up with you, and thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, so my day job is uh, running the U.S. portion of an executive search firm called Horton International. So insurance, insurtech, and fintech are kind of one of the verticals that we work in. And then uh, I also run a podcast called the InsurTech Leadership Podcast. I know it very well. And um, I've been doing that for a couple of years. And then uh, also I'm co-founder of something called the InsurTech Association, which is a nonprofit membership-driven organization that I launched with a couple of other folks in March of this year, uh, designed to uh, try to connect uh, different constituents in the industry, but with a focus on kind of earlier stage uh, founders and companies, and then uh, making connections and providing content relating to sort of all the other areas around distribution, tech stack, investment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. We've got your hands full in a lot of different areas. Um, well, let's, uh, since you're in the space of talent, uh, let's, let's talk talent. So I think, uh, you know, it's been often talked about the, uh, the shortage of, of young workers coming into the space. The, um, we'll, we'll just say it, the older generations retiring and a lot of industry knowledge uh, being left behind. What, what, what are you saying as you know, the recent trends uh, when it comes to the workforce in PNC insurance? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I mean, you know, certainly in terms of the incumbents, I think in the executive leadership ranks, uh, you know, there's a, definitely a, a population that is starting to retire out. I think some of them maybe. Uh, postpone their retirements a little bit because they wanted to make sure their organizations kind of navigated through COVID and uh, were able to uh, kind of get to the next stage and, and know they were in a good, solid position. And, um, you know, in terms of younger talent, I think, uh, you know, my generation, Generation X, isn't as large. So I think companies have to decide are they going to recruit from the outside to fill some of the gaps or are they going to uh, invest in talent development programs to accelerate uh, career paths for high potential candidates. There's also some talent that uh, may be looking to move from the insurtech side and into incumbent roles. And I think that's kind of an interesting area because um, incumbents are going to need to innovate. Um, some of them are further along than others, but if there's opportunities to maybe bring some people in who we're able to experience it in the fast-paced startup world and bring some of that learning uh, maybe into a more traditional environment that could help to accelerate things along. Absolutely. So so how does a, a carrier, you know, that's uh, been incumbent, they've been around for, call it 100 years, how do they attract the millennial or the Gen Z candidates and, and how do they retain them? Well, I think, you know, people take roles you know, for a handful of reasons. You know, one is they just want to be part of the company. So whatever job it is, 
that they can get their foot in the door with, they'll take that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that you see that in the insurance world the way maybe you've seen it with some of the FANG stocks and technology and things like that, FANG companies and technology. Um, you know, the second is what does this role kind of do for their career path? Is it the next step in their career path? Um, the third is what direction does it take them in their ultimate career path? Um, and the last, and to me the most important, is really who is it they'll be working for? Because uh, if they can establish a relationship with someone who really is investing their career and wants to see them grow and develop, then that's usually what I see makes for the most success long term. And I could get into all other sorts of issues around philosophies of hiring and what gets into success rates. But I think essentially, you know, you, you have to be able to market your company, you have to be able to find candidates at the time when they're really looking and ready to take the next step, and you have to create an offer um, that, that has them working with a leader who's invested in their career development and wants to see them succeed and grow. Sure, that all, that all makes sense. And uh, yeah, I, and I know that you've definitely talked about this before on some of your episodes on your show with, with some of your guests. Maybe I'll, I'll ask you one final question here before we wrap up. Uh, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I'm curious of, uh, you know, looking at the broad swath of clients that you, you, work, you work on behalf of these carriers, how are carriers rethinking uh, their DE&I programs and infusing it into their, their corporate cultures? Yeah, so again, it is definitely a bit of a mixed bag, but I would say that the ones that are um, having the most impact are the ones that are, um, you know, not just sort of reacting, not doing something that's going to create a press release, but is actually... Um, uh, part of the annual goals of their leaders and and so um, you know in just the same way that you know performance on a PL or performance on other uh, KPIs impacts their bonus then um, you know their performance around uh, DEI and goals are, are uh, in their uh, you know performance plan and evaluations as well and you know, on the on the sort of stick side of things, I would say, um, you know, we've worked with uh, one carrier in particular that, um, you know, essentially they had certain metrics, um, not necessarily around who was hired, but how the short slate of candidates would be composed. And essentially, if you were going to deviate from that, then someone more senior in the organization had to sign off on it. So we were working with fairly senior level people to begin with, but it really was something um, that that was going right up to the top levels of a global organization so um, you know those are a couple ways we're, we're seeing companies try to uh, try to address it I mean obviously there's lots of other things around employee resource groups and other things like that but that's you know a little bit more about sort of once people are on board versus in the recruiting process sure yeah I mean I think it's something that needs to come from the top down in leadership and really permeate itself through different departments and manifest itself as part of the, those, those, and and sorry, the thing I would just just say is, you know, it can't be. This is part of our 2024 plan. It has to be, you know, something companies are going to stick with for a long time, and uh, uh, continue to invest in and and, and make sure that it's uh, happening throughout all levels of the organization. Absolutely. Well, Josh, it has been a pleasure having you on this micro podcast of conversations on the Creek Live at ITC. Uh, thank you again for joining. 
Yeah, Rob, I've tried to do this myself, and it's not easy, so I uh, commend you for uh, giving it a shot, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to be on. All right, Rob Savitsky back here at ITC Vegas, and I'm here with Sylvia Diaz-Roa, founder of Claim Deck. Sylvia, welcome to ITC. Thank you. Excited to be here. Nice. So what, what was your motivation for, for starting Claim Deck? What are, what are some recent you know, trends or challenges that are, that are happening in, in this space? Uh, more litigated claims for sure. Um, I think the, the two biggest terms in the industry that, that really drive this are like, you know, social inflation and nuclear verdicts. Those are really going up and it's because people don't have insights into what's happening in their litigated claims. And with Claim Deck, you know, you're capturing data in a structured way. And so now you can actually gain insights on one of the most expensive parts for most insurance companies, which is their litigated claims. Yeah. How, how much waste is, is happening in the industry right now with, uh, with litigated claims that, you know, you could be acting on in different ways? So much. I mean, uh, just the latest NAIC study showed that about 20% of premium goes towards the handling and execution or payout of litigated claims alone. So that's only a portion of your claims, and that's already 20% of your premium spent on, on handling those. And that number has been going up by 5% every year. So even, you know, even it, like stopping it from growing, so not going up to another 5% next year, that is a huge achievement. Nice. Yeah. Can you maybe talk to me about the, the marketplace or the, the dynamic of the different uh, groups that you deal with among the claimants and the legal teams and the claims adjusters? What are, you know, what are some ways that you, you see areas where they can improve how they collaborate? Yeah, I mean, so right now, claims adjusters and their insurance defense attorneys, the way they communicate is via email, via phone calls, quarterly status reports, so it's all paper documents. And it's not uniform, it's not transparent, you know, it's not in real-time information. And so Claim Deck, by bringing these two entities into one platform to collaborate and work in real time, it just creates so much efficiency in the process and just insights. So you don't risk, you know, getting those nuclear claims because you see them earlier on because you have real-time information on what's happening. Awesome. Well, uh, maybe last question. I'm going to whip out the crystal ball. If we go to the year 2030, uh, what do you see the state of claims litigation looking like in the P&C insurance industry? It's all going to be run by AI. (laughs) I think there are going to be new types of jobs um, related to this. Uh, We'll see what those look like, but I think there definitely needs to be a shift on how we think about the different roles that people play, um, learning new skill sets. You know, like right now, a really big skill set is uh, prompt creation for those generative AIs. Because right now, you, you know, the results you get are only as good as the questions that you ask. So you need to make sure you're asking good questions. I think so, too. I think a lot of it is an assist, and it's really aiding uh, the, the adjusters or whoever it is. I mean, we see this across a number of use cases in insurance, and it's just helping make you more efficient, but agree there will be some rescaling that is needed. It's not like necessarily every single every single function will have a one to one. So, um, but I think it's a good thing. I think you know people will will be able to to challenge themselves more and really you know find more self actualization in, in what they're doing every day. So, I think it's a good thing. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up here? I know it's just great seeing you in person for the first time. Absolutely, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. All right, we're back. Another live episode. I have stopped by the Glia booth where I am joined by Ryan Balajaran, ITC Vegas 2023. Ryan, 
Awesome to have you here. What's, uh, what, what are some trends you're noticing this year when it comes to customer experience? I mean, I think when you look, um, I, you know, I, I look through the, the agenda list and it feels like AI is just huge right now, right? Um, and so, you know, when that comes to customer service, it's all about, all about the efficiency gains there, right? So from a, from a self-service standpoint, you know, every, every carrier is trying to um, automate as much as they can. And I think AI provides that kind of interim layer between true self-service and the, the human aspect. Um, and so kind of what we're seeing is, is a lot of folks wanting to implement AI on top of, of their customer service um, journey. Nice. We were just passing the mic back and forth and sharing one, so a bit of delay there. But uh, so if you're using AI, you know, say in your call center, how do you use it in a way that is, let's say, effective in, in providing still that high quality experience that you get from a human touch and how do you do it in a responsible and ethical way? Yeah, that's it. That's what's hard, right? And I think what we're seeing is 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 you want to take a kind of slow and, and a phased approach in in terms of introducing AI, right? Like it, you don't want to just implement it, you know, across all of your journeys. You want to to really identify areas where you think it can have high impact. Um, and, and do a lot of testing, right? So, so introduce it slowly, um, and, and really um, make sure that that it's it's providing the experience that that your customers are are expecting and, and wanting. And so that's things like you know monitoring the containment rate of how often is this bot actually providing the the response and, and the answers that the customer is looking for, and how many of those are actually needing to be transferred to um, a human rep. And so I think. You know, you, you want to be very methodical um, and intentional about how you approach the, the rollout of AI when it comes to customer service. Got it. So last time we had your colleague Rick DeLisi on the show, and he talked all about, um, you know, meeting the customer where you are across different channels. I'm wondering, how does AI fit into that, and is there a certain medium, uh, whether it be text or our online chat or, or, or phone, where, where do you see it as being you know, most prevalent or, or maybe where, where would you experience it? I imagine it's probably something that would be a first line response and not necessarily used throughout the journey, but uh, what, do you, what do you feel like you're saying? So really um, what we're seeing, and I, and I apologize to listeners, I don't have Rick DeLisi's voice here, um, but uh, really, I mean, I think what we're, we're seeing is that you want to introduce it in in areas where um, it's simple kind of routine questions, right? So maybe like it's it's on on the billing side where you're you're getting a lot of folks month after month that um, are running into challenges and, and they need support in that manner. That's that's a great use case for uh, for AI. It's you know on the claim side there there might be some some applications there, but the claims process can be um, you know that first notice of loss, that's probably an area where you want that human empathy, right? But when it comes to claim status, that's a really great opportunity to introduce kind of some simple workflows, introduce a chatbot, um, and, and, you know, don't bog down your call center with, you know, call after call about, hey, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to see the status of my claim. Got it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think that is going to conclude our little micro episode for today. Unless, uh, Ryan, you have anything else you'd like to add? Now, just looking forward to a great rest of ITC. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.
Thank you again to all of my guests, Sabine, Tara, Joshua, Sylvia, and Ryan. And thank you all for listening today. As a reminder, if you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to go back and check out part one of Live from ITC Vegas. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to follow Conversations on the Creek on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also find us by visiting duckreek.com slash podcasts. I'm Rob Savitsky, and I'll see you in the next episode.